Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art of the podcast. Let's crack on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's been a dramatically busy week this week, and there's me thinking that it might be calming down with the holiday season almost upon us. This week, the United Kingdom Financial Conduct Regulator has been busy issuing fines and a bit of advice. There's a bit of bribery and corruption news which has come out, and some useful resources updated and published for anyone working in compliance globally. Let's crack on with it. As ever, the principal links are in the podcast description. Start with sanctions, very limited on sanctions this week. Only a couple of stories really worth flagging. First, the UK government has sanctioned 12 Russian military commanders, in addition to several Iranian businessmen concerned in one way or another with the military attacks using drones in Ukraine. For balance, I suppose I should say that Russia and Iran deny the use of Iranian drones in Ukraine, but that does rather remind me of Mandy Rice Davies' response to denials that she'd had an affair with Lord Astor at the trial of Stephen Ward. They would say that, wouldn't they? The link to the UK government press release is in the podcast description. Finally, on sanctions this week, the European Union has agreed its ninth package of sanctions against Russia. The agreement, which went to the wire, targets export controls and restrictions on, quote, dual-use goods and technology, as well as goods and technology that can contribute to the technological advancement of Russian defence and security sector by significantly expanding the list of entities connected to Russia's military and industrial complex. There's also an export ban on, again, quote, aviation and the space industry-related goods and technology to include aircraft engines and their parts, as well as a ban on the direct export of drone engines. Further, two more banks have been added to the Russian asset freeze, and four further broadcasting licenses have been suspended. There are other restrictions in the sanctions, and they can be read at the link in the podcast description. Now, to a bit of money laundering. We start with a money laundering story which popped in too late for episode 36, so here it is now. Better late than never. The Financial Conduct Authority in the UK has fined Santander UK, Santander, almost £108 million for failures in its anti-money laundering systems and controls. The note provides, between the 31st of December 2012 and the 18th of October 2017, Santander failed properly to oversee and manage its anti-money laundering systems, which significantly impacted the account oversight of more than 560,000 business customers. Santander had ineffective systems adequately to verify the information provided by customers about the business they would be doing. The firm also failed properly to monitor the money customers had told them would be going through their accounts compared with what actually was being deposited. There is one especially striking element uh, or example in the FCA press release. It quotes, In one case, a customer opened an account as a small translations business with expected monthly deposits of £5,000. Within six months, it was receiving millions in deposits and swiftly transferring the money to separate accounts. The link to the press release and the final notice 
are both in the podcast description. Now to a story which we covered in episode 30 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, and it relates to Dansk Bank, the Danish bank, which has this week pleaded guilty to one count of bank fraud conspiracy and agreed to pay 2 billion, yeah, billion US dollars to see off the action which related to the operations of the bank's Estonian unit through which non-residents were permitted to transact large volumes of money with little or no oversight. We start the fraud stories this week with a story concerning a fraud against the Libyan Sovereign Wealth Fund. Three individuals, Frederick Marino, Yoshika Ohamura, and Aurelian Besso, or Bessot, were convicted of various fraud offences. Marino and Bessot established a company called FCP, FMCP, which was responsible for investing the funds of a sovereign wealth fund established by the Libyan government. Instead of optimising the investments, Marino and Bessot, with the help of Yoshiki Omura, placed investments so as to maximise their own rewards to the detriment of the fund. The direct losses to the fund are approximately £17.8 million. The link to the press release from the Crown Prosecution Service of England and Wales is in the podcast description. Now we look at a fraud story out of the European Union. First, a couple of stories actually. First, it's Fraud Prevention Portal, the European Union's Fraud Prevention Portal, which contains a rich array of resources for anyone working in the sector across the EU and beyond. There are links to the principal agencies together with the links to the relevant statutes providing the EU with the legal basis for taking action all in the podcast description. I would strongly urge anybody who works in the sector to go and have a look at those links. Secondly, the European Payments Council has established, or published rather, its yearly update of the Payment Threats and Fraud Trends Report. The report provides an overview of the most important threats and other fraud enablers in the payments landscape, including social engineering, malware, advanced persistent threats, denial of service, botnets, monetization channels, for each threat an analysis is made on the impact and context of the suggested controls and mitigations are described. The link to the document again, which is incredibly handy for anybody working in the sector, is in the podcast description. It's also been announced this week that Samuel Bankman-Fried has been charged with defrauding investors in a crypto asset trading platform called FTX. This story has been rumbling for a few weeks and I've kept well back from it because I suspect it would develop to a point where he would be charged and I wanted to wait until that moment came. And now it has. The US Securities and Exchange Commission press release, which is linked in the podcast description, provides, according to the SEC's complaint, since at least May 2019, FTX, based in the Bahamas, raised more than $1.8 billion US dollars from equity investors, including approximately 1.1 billion US dollars from approximately 990 US based investors. In his representations to investors, Bankman Fried promoted FTX as a safe, responsible crypto asset trading platform, specifically touting FTX's sophisticated automated risk measures to protect consumer assets. The complaint alleges that in reality, Bankman-Fried orchestrated a years-long fraud to conceal from FTX's investors first, 
the undisclosed diversion of FTX customers' funds to Alameda Research LLC, his privately held crypto hedge fund, two, the undisclosed special treatment afforded to Alameda on the FTX platform, including providing Alameda with a virtually unlimited line of credit, funded by the platform's customers and exempting Alameda from certain key FTX risk mitigation measures, and three, undisclosed risk stemming from FTX's exposure to Alameda's significant holdings of overvalued, illiquid assets such as FTX-affiliated tokens. The complaint further alleges that Bankman Freed used commingled FTX customers' funds at Alameda to make unsolicited venture investments, lavish real estate purchases, and large political donations. That case, I suspect, will rumble on for a good few months. Now, while we're with the Securities and Exchange Commission, I might as well flag another story, although this time it's a bit of a market abuse story. So again, the Securities and Exchange Commission has announced this week that it's charged eight individuals described as social media influencers with market manipulation, which was promoted on Discord and Twitter. According to the press release, quote, since at least January 2020, seven of the defendants promoted themselves as successful traders and cultivated hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and in stock trading chat rooms on Discord. These seven defendants allegedly purchased certain stocks and then encouraged their substantial social media following to buy those selected stocks by posting price targets or indicating they were buying, holding or adding to their stock positions. However, as the complaint alleges, when share prices and or trading volumes rose in the promoted securities, the individuals regularly sold their shares without ever having disclosed their plans to dump the securities while they were promoting them. The allegation is what we used to call good old-fashioned pump and dump. Link to the full press release which contains the Twitter handles of those charged is in the podcast description. Now, to a big corruption story which has rumbled on all week. I mean, this really has gone on all week and I've had to keep chopping and changing what I was going to say about it. So we start the roundup of corruption stories this week with news relating to the arrest of a number of European Union officials over allegations that bribes have been paid by Qatar in order to attempt to influence the policymaking of the European Union. The Belgian prosecutor's office, which has led the investigation, has not released the names of those being investigated, uh, but a number of reputable news agencies, notable of which is Agence France Presse, which has reported that Eva Kali, who is one of the 14 vice presidents of the European Parliament and MEP for the Social Democratic Greek PASOK party, has been identified as one of those who has been arrested. Carly has had her powers as Vice President of the European Parliament removed as the investigation continues. While the investigation continues, the European Parliament held a debate on Tuesday this week to discuss the matter and wasted no time in passing a resolution 541-2 to with three abstentions, with four central themes. First, all work related to Qatar should be suspended, representatives of Qatari interest should not have access to Parliament, 
Secondly, establishment of a commission of inquiry to investigate cases of corruption by third countries and a special committee on transparency. A call for a ban on donations from third countries to MEPs and political parties at EU level. And members of the European Parliament should submit asset declarations at the beginning and end of their mandate. Well, that would seem to me to be something which should have been there from the start. But anyway, this is a good indication of a direction of travel. The link to the full article from the Europa website is in the podcast description and well worth a look. Keep keep an eye out for this story because, again, it's going to run and run. We end this week's roundup of corruption stories with a flag for those working in international bribery anti-corruption to a site of the international law firm Denton's, which allows users to compare bribery and anti-corruption laws in different jurisdictions around the world. I had to play around with it this morning, and actually it's a really great resource for those wanting a quick reckoner for the relevant laws relating to bribery and anti-corruption in any particular jurisdiction that you might choose to work. I remember when I was teaching financial crime, uh, particularly bribery, I would frequently get the students to compare the position under the Bribery Act 2010 in the United Kingdom, but also the with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act 1977, which is the statute which operates in the US. Some interesting differences and mild similarities between the two. Anyway, the link to that resource on the Denton's website, that excellent resource on the Denton's website, is in the podcast description. Now, I draw this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast to a close by looking at some regulatory enforcement and publications issued by the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom. First, it's been another reasonably busy week for enforcement I highlighted in the money laundering stories this week the fine for Santander for its money laundering failures, while another bank has also been in its sights this week with the announcement that Metro Bank PLC has been fined £10 million for breaching listing rules in publishing incorrect information to investors. In addition, the Financial Conduct Authority has also announced fines against Metrobank's former chief executive Craig Donaldson and former chief financial officer David Arden for being knowingly concerned in the breach by Metrobank. Donaldson was fined £223,100, while Arden was fined £134,600. While Metrobank has accepted the decision, both Donaldson and Arden have referred their cases to the Upper Tribunal of Financial Services, which will conduct a de novo review of the decision. Links to the press release from the FCA, together with the final notice against Metrobank, and both decision notices of Donaldson and Arden are in the podcast description. We'll stick with the Financial Conduct Authority, which has issued a warning to customers about the increase in loan fee fraud in the run-up to Christmas. Unsurprisingly, the reason for this is that the cost of living crisis has caused individuals to turn to loans and that consequently they may be more vulnerable to such scams. This type of fraud, which is up by one-fifth on this time last year, costs customers an average of £260. More worryingly are the levels of ignorance of such fraud, with the FCA's research indicating that 64% of customers are unaware of loan fee fraud, with only 22% able to identify all its signs. I have to say, just over a fifth being able to identify all the signs, I think itself is quite impressive. 
because as I tend to bleat on about consistently, the lack of education in relation to these frauds is something that should be of real concern to the regulator and that there should be greater efforts to ensure that the public is better informed than it seems that they might be. They used to have something called a money doctor project, I think, the Financial Conduct Authority, well, certainly the Financial Services Authority before it became the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation went to the Bank of England. It's something that really needs to be worked on because it's a lack of education that can cause these problems as well, as, of course, as unscrupulousness. Anyway, that's my slight rant over. The link to the press release and the Financial Conduct Authority's loan fee fraud information page can be found in the podcast description. might be worth if you've got any family members who may be vulnerable or indeed friends who may be vulnerable to this sort of thing might be worth directing them to the Financial Conduct Authority's loan fee fraud information page. Worth clicking on. Could be the gift that keeps on giving this holiday season. And finally this week, a story which, again from the FCA, but it brings to mind that puzzlement emoji with the announcement that the Financial Conduct Authority will introduce multi-factor authentication to log into a range of the regulator's online services. Puzzlement emoji, emoji, of course, because I can't believe that this isn't already something which is done. We've all had to endure two-factor authentication. Cyber attacks on employers mean that employees are habitually now forced to have two-factor authentication before they can log on. But not the Financial Conduct Authority, it seems, which won't get around to introducing this until early 2023. The process will be introduced for its systems from the 20th of January and it will be completed for all of them by the 16th of February 2023. The link to the announcement is in the podcast description. Now that's it for this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being very well indeed, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everybody. 